Hi, my name is Rifki, and welcome to This Week Unpacked. Before starting, a huge thank you to Jewish Colorado for sponsoring this week's episode. If you too are interested in sponsoring future episodes, be in touch at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. Okay, as we say in Yiddish, weiter, let's dive in. This past weekend, while it was absolutely freezing in New York and the heat in my apartment was simultaneously not working in my bedroom and absolutely burning up my living room, my colleague Sarah Himmelis was selfishly enjoying the perfect weather that is December in South Florida. But sadly for her, she wasn't sitting on the beach enjoying the sun, at least as far as she tells me. Sarah was actually attending the IAC conference run by the Israeli American Council. If you haven't heard of IAC, well, it's a massive summit for people to come together to talk Israel. According to the IAC, they work to strengthen the Israeli-American community, the American-Jewish community, and the bond between Americans and Israelis. Around 3,000 people attended the conference this year, and speakers run the gamut from politicians to thought leaders to cultural figures, you name it. This week, I wanted to highlight Sarah's reflections about her experience. These reflections are personal from Sarah herself, and you might think about some of these things a little differently. But at This Week Unpacked, our goal is that you'll be able to use these reflections as starting points for your own conversations. So let's dive into it. Here are seven key takeaways from the conference. Number one, we should all be asking, why is there only one BDS movement in the world? That is, when people decide to boycott, divest, and sanction Israel, why don't they do the same for other countries? Let me explain. Richie Torres, a Democratic congressman who represents the South Bronx in New York, gave a strong rebuke of the BDS movement. He asked, why is there no BDS movement against Myanmar for ethnically cleansing Rohingya Muslims or against Iran for being the leading sponsor of terrorism in the world? If the selective outrage and delegitimization against Israel is not explained by anti-Semitism, then what exactly explains it? Torres concluded that everyone has a responsibility to speak out against hate in all forms. Quote, I reject the notion that you have to be Jewish to fight anti-Semitism. We all have an obligation to ensure extremism is fought, no matter what form it takes. Takeaway number two. To fight anti-Semitism, we need to distinguish between the wicked son and the simple son. So do you remember sitting at your Seder this past year and the discussion of the four sons? There's a wise son, an evil son, a simple son, and one who doesn't even know how to ask anything. Jonathan Sarna, professor of American Jewish history at Brandeis University, used the metaphor of the four sons to help us better understand the sources of anti-Semitism. He says that we must distinguish between the wicked son, who seeks the destruction of the Jewish people, and the simple son, who is ignorant and not malicious. He says we have to deal with these two groups differently because ignorant people simply just need education, but evil people must be dealt with realistically. Sarna warns us not to mix up those two. Takeaway number three, who should lead the fight against anti-Semitism? As you can imagine, in the constant discussion about anti-Semitism, one question came up over and over, the question of responsibility. Should the Israeli government be leading this effort against anti-Semitism, especially for anti-Semitism under the guise of anti-Zionism? Or should Jewish organizations or individuals in the diaspora be doing it? In conversation with Israeli Minister of Diaspora Affairs Nachman Shai, IAC board member Sean Ebenheim noted that influencers like Bella Hadid, who on Instagram has said that Israel is involved in colonization, ethnic cleansing, military occupation, and apartheid, have 50 million or more followers on Instagram. Ebenheim argued that American Jewish organizations 
just don't have the resources to combat this kind of social media and suggested that the Israeli government should instead take responsibility for the problem. Takeaway number four, how is anti-Semitism affecting young Jews? Well, there is both good news and bad news. On the one hand, Roz Rothstein, the CEO of Stand With Us, an Israel advocacy organization, said that students are actually becoming engaged because of anti-Semitism. They feel motivated to become more knowledgeable and better leaders. Jonathan Sarna, the history professor at Brandeis, agreed with this point, noting that sometimes anti-Semitism can make Jews feel more Jewish. He used an analogy from the Book of Esther that when King Ahasuerus granted Haman the authority to destroy the Jews, that actually did more to bring Jews to Judaism than all of the prophets combined. However, Todd Sukal, executive director of the Mayberg Foundation, had a different perspective. He argued that when young Jews hear claims like Israel being an apartheid state, that erodes their Jewish self-confidence, and it leads them to question, are we really on the right side here? According to Sukal, there's a dangerous possibility here that these young Jews are being made to feel ashamed of their Jewish identity, or maybe would even disown it. Takeaway number five, how can we work with other oppressed groups to fight anti-Semitism? Professor Sarna argued that the American Jewish community should forge more ties with Asian Americans, noting that they are natural allies in the fight against anti-Semitism and bigotry. Rothstein, the CEO of Stand With Us, agreed, noting that the concept of intersectionality, the idea that groups who are oppressed have the opportunity to reach out to friends and allies, is a positive here. However, Hillel Newman, Consul General of Israel to the Pacific Southwest, responded, We do extend our hand in friendship, but sometimes we get a cold response. We have to identify who our allies are. Rothstein agreed, noting that some in the Black Lives Matter movement were actually anti-Semitic. But some were actually friends. Takeaway number six, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict has more than one battlefront. A recurring theme in the discussions at IAC was the idea that there is more than one battlefront in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the fight against anti-Semitism. Yes, of course, the most obvious place to start is the military conflict, but there's also the battle for hearts and minds being fought in media and, of course, in social media. According to IAC board member Evenheim, Israel has a front in the north, a front in the south, and a front in the world. Moran Yarchi, a professor in Herzliya, Israel, underscored that there are both media and military arenas to this conflict, and Israel must invest in both its military and its image. She said, quote, We can be successful on the battlefield, but get crushed in the media space. She argued that Israel should focus on the compassionate and personal angle, saying that, quote, if instead of sharing footage of men in uniform, we show how teenage girls have to run into bomb shelters, people will relate to that story. When there's a conflict, we have to help people understand that Israelis are suffering too. And takeaway number seven, education and media are critical to shaping the conversation on Israel. Speaking of two fronts, If military equipment and weapons are tools to fight the physical war, then media and education are needed to address misinformation and improve Israel's image in the world. For example, this past May, Israel's bombing of a building in Gaza that housed the Associated Press and Al Jazeera news agencies caused a public relations disaster. Professor Yarkley said that this could have been avoided if Israel had been proactive beforehand and explained why it was striking the building. Meanwhile, many speakers and participants underscored that education is critical to even be able to respond to some of the harsh rhetoric against Israel. People want to respond to claims like Israel is an apartheid state, but they don't have the knowledge. 
They argue that it's the responsibility of all of us to educate diaspora Jewry in order to be able to address this problem. So what's the bottom line from IAC? I'll leave you with this. Those of us who think and write about Israel and anti-Semitism all day are often convinced that the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And yes, there is a fair amount to be scared of. But there's also hope, and there are specific charges for what we, all of us, can do. You know, I was really struck by what Professor Sarna said, that we must carefully note who's evil and who's just ignorant. Call me naive, but I think 95% of people are the latter. So when we see misinformation, let's try to engage with people not as enemies, but as people who are figuring things out, just like we all are. Thanks for listening. This Week Unpacked is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. If you're listening to this, but you haven't yet subscribed, don't worry, it's not too late. Subscribe wherever you're listening. And while you're at it, check out Unpacked's latest podcast, The Power Of, where Noam Weissman, the executive producer of this podcast, speaks to 10 amazing guests about different important ideas in the world and how Judaism impacts them. And last but not least, we want to schmooze with you. Email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. Research and writing for this episode was led by Sarah Himalis, and the team includes John Kunza, Avi Posen, and Rob Perra. Noam Weissman is the executive producer of This Week Unpacked, and I'm your host, Rifki Stern. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.